Hi, I'm Erin, and I'm your host here at Body Peace Collective. This is episode six, and it's part one of a two-part series about relearning how to trust yourself with food. Some of the most common feedback that I've received, even either through clients or through the podcast, is how. Um, you connect with this idea of, of wanting to make peace with your body, and you connect with this idea of having a peaceful relationship with food, calling a truce, essentially. But then there's all of these other what-ifs and how does that work? And those things get in the way, I think, of wanting of actually taking that leap and taking that step. And the first step in, in any endeavor or any goal involves a lot of trust. You have to trust yourself. You have to trust the process. And you have to trust that you have everything you need to figure this out. I want to let you know that you do have everything you need to figure this out. Before we dive in, though, I do want to say that the things that I'm going to cover for you today are general principles, and that they can be applied in your life in a lot of different ways. Everyone's journey is going to be different, and it's going to look different. However, if you have been diagnosed with an eating disorder, or if you're engaging in behaviors associated with eating disorders currently, I need you to know that I am not qualified to be giving specific advice or instructions. However, the good news is, is that there are many qualified and certified non-diet therapists and registered dietitians that are incredible resources and can help you figure this out. I've included a few of links um, to their websites in the show notes, but you need to know that everyone deserves to have a peaceful relationship with food and to be their body's greatest ally. So wherever you are in your journey, know that there are people who have paved the way, people who've done it before. And that this is not how you have to keep living your life if you aren't happy in it. So diving in, gosh, learning to trust yourself can be really scary, right? We are our own worst critic. We see all of our weaknesses and sometimes that's all we see, right? So it's easy, it's so easy to discount our instincts, but... I truly believe that one of the most powerful ways to connect with yourself and to learn how to trust yourself is through your relationship with food and your relationship with your body. It's something that comes up every day, right? You have to eat multiple times every day. So it's multiple opportunities to practice being introceptive or being aware of your feelings and your emotions and the sensations within your body. It forces you to connect and to be grounded and to be present. And I think that that's why intuitive eating is so powerful. I truly believe that it is the ultimate form of self-care. Like we talked about in episode five, food is at the basis. It's at the very bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If we don't meet that daily consistent need for food, we run the risk of being unable to meet our other higher needs like belonging and connection and a sense of purpose. But intuitive eating, it forces you to be in tune with yourself. And like I said before, it forces you to be aware of your needs and the sensations and emotions within your body. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. I remember when I first learned about intuitive eating, I was reading the book, which I highly recommend getting, but I would wait for just one more month because they're coming out with a newer 
updated version. So if you if you if you can wait for one more month, I, I highly recommend it. But I remember when I purchased the book, um, I connected so much with the principles and ideas within that book. It just felt right to me. It felt good. But at the same time, I was terrified of actually trying it for so many different reasons. But one of the reasons why I was really afraid was I, I kept telling myself, what if I give myself permission to eat anything and I reject diet rules and what if all my body wants to eat is coconut chocolate-covered almonds from Costco for the rest of my life? Because my past experience had been that I would restrict for long periods of time. Either I would cut sugar out of my diet or cut dairy out of my diet or, or majorly limit certain volumes of food. And then after a week or two, my body would do a very natural thing which would be to stimulate my neuropeptide Y and all of the other hormones in my body that we talked about in episode five and, and essentially do everything it could to compel me to eat, right? So then when I did have an opportunity and I did buy that bag of chocolate-covered coconut almonds, I was out of control. And I was out of control because I had restricted so heavily. But I'm here to tell you, I came out on the other side and you don't only eat coconut chocolate-covered almonds for the rest of your life. In fact, what is so funny now is that I can have a bag of those that can sit in my pantry for months at a time. And every once in a while, one of them or two of them or a handful of them will sound good. But those foods no longer have power over me. And it's not because of an easy like five-step program. I'm not going to lie to you. The work that you're going to need to do to make peace with food and with your body and to establish a healthy relationship of trust is hard. <laughs> and it takes time, and it takes patience, and it takes a lot of self-compassion. But you can do it. And that's what you need to know to take your first step. You need to know that you will come out on the other side. And the risk of not trying is that in one year from now or two years from now or three years, you're going to find yourself in the exact same spot that you are right now. So really you have nothing to lose. It is really common for women to focus so much on people and circumstances outside of us, right? We're fixers and we, we like to help people. And it's really easy to get so busy and so caught up in doing other things that we start to forget to take care of ourselves. And the problem with that is that little by little, as we ignore our natural cues, um, cues for hunger and fullness or for sleep or cravings for certain foods, as we ignore those kinds of things, over time we're sending a, sub a, a subconscious message to ourselves that our needs are not important. So in order to proceed forward, you need to learn how to trust your body, right? Your cues, your hunger and fullness signals, your cravings. And your body, in turn, needs to learn to trust you, that you will provide food at consistent intervals, that you will give it rest when it needs to rest. And once your body can trust you, that you will take care of it, 
And once you can trust your body, that your body will give you all the information that you need to know in order to take care of it, then you have this really beautiful, harmonious relationship with yourself, right? Where where you are meeting your own needs, you're setting healthy boundaries, and you're taking care of yourself. So when we talk about developing trust with ourselves, I want to ask you, how does trust develop in any other kind of relationship? Right? If you think of someone in your life that you trust with your life, what characteristics and values are present there? What has happened over time that has helped you to feel that way about that person? I think when I analyze that, it comes down to repeated, consistent, small moments where those people came through for you again and again and again. And it wasn't always these big, powerful, life-changing moments. Sometimes maybe yes, but most of the time it was through the repeated, consistent, small moments that they showed up. And as much as we need other people in our lives in order for connection and validation, it's also important to remember that you are the only one who can have your own back. 100%. So if you aren't working on that relationship, your relationship with yourself, know that nobody else is either. No one can do that work for you except for you. It's important and it's good to take care of others. But over time, if you are not taking care of yourself, you will wear down. You'll start to be resentful. And then you won't be able to help and give of yourself in the way that you desire to. Something that's really, really important to learn and remember also as you are working to achieve body trust is that you are the expert of you. When I work with clients, it is not me telling them what they should do, right? The way that I work is I help to introduce principles to them And help them understand that they are going to know when and how to apply those principles. All of their growth and all of their progress is 100% because of them. Only you can do the work for you. So the principles that I'm going to talk about today are principles that you can apply. But like I said at the beginning, this is going to look different for every person. There is no one-size-fits-all solution. There never has been, and there never will be. That's why diets don't work, because everybody and every life is different. So be patient with yourself. Recognize that your experience may look very different than mine or your neighbor's or your friend's, and that's okay. In fact, that's beautiful, because we're not the same, so our experiences shouldn't be either. I am a huge fan of Brene Brown. She's kind of one of my life gurus, and she gives a um, presentation or a talk that is called The Anatomy of Trust. And if you have time, I highly encourage you to look it up on YouTube and to watch it. It's about 25 minutes long. But she talks about what creates a relationship of trust. And she invented or created this acronym called BRAVING. And each of the letters in BRAVING stands for a certain principle that needs to exist in order for a true relationship of trust to to happen. 
And just like what we alluded to earlier, the conclusion of her research is, is that trust is built in the smallest and simplest of moments. And I think that a lot of times when we talk about or think about building body trust, right, or trust with our body or working on trusting our relationship with trusting our instincts and our relationship with food, we kind of expect that like big breakthroughs have to happen. Big changes need to be made. And the truth is, is that it is actually through the small and simple moments that you will come to achieve better trust, better body trust, better trust of yourself and and improve your relationship with food. The very first principle of braving, the B, is for boundaries. And that simply means that I know what your boundaries are in the relationship and respect those and you do the same for me. Okay, now in a relationship with yourself, right, which is what we're talking about, the boundaries that you hold for your body and for your relationship with food are that no one has the right to tell you what you should or should not be eating or how much of it you should or should not eat. If you are trying to build a healthy relationship of trust with food, this requires you to throw out any diet rules that you have picked up in the past And it forces you to learn to trust your instincts, to trust those natural God-given essentially sensors in your body that tell you when you're hungry and when you're full and when you've received enough nutrients for your body to perform in what you needed to perform for. Okay, but in order for you to learn to trust your body, that it will give you those signals your body needs to know that she will be consistently fed because when we withhold food and when we restrict food, those sensors, your body starts to compensate and those sensors don't work as well. And so in order for that relationship to be a healthy relationship, your body needs to know that she will be consistently fed and you need to trust that your body will give you the signals that it needs, what it needs, and how much of it it needs, and when it needs it. But ultimately, you are the one that chooses how much of what you eat and when you eat it. An example of this is that we eat for satisfaction. That is the primary goal of intuitive eating, is satisfaction, a pleasant eating experience. We want to feel nourished at the end, but not uncomfortable right? And I think it's important to understand too that that as we go about these navigating these cues and these hunger and fullness cues and, and trusting our body that it will be fed, it's important to know that there are three parts of our brain. And each of these three parts of our brain have a specific function and an important function, but they all work together to create our whole brain. So for example, one part of our brain is called our reptilian brain, and it is responsible for our instincts to survive. Okay. The next part is our limbic system, which is responsible for all of our emotions and our social behaviors. So our feelings. And then the last one is our rational brain, also known as our neocortex. And that takes into account our instincts, our emotions, and then also our logical thinking. Our rational brain is what gives meaning to 
to words and experiences and moments. It takes the instincts that we have and the feelings that we have and it integrates them and makes sense of them. So as an infant and a toddler, eating was mostly instinctual, right? It was, we mostly used our reptilian brain. But as we get older, we use more thoughts and feelings to guide our experiences with food. But if, if we rely only on our reptilian brain, if food is only fuel, an example of that is food is fuel. If that were true, then that means I could hand you a bucket of Crisco and say, here, you need to eat this many calories of this because you need this much food in order to do what you need to do today, right? But how many of you would be able to sit there and eat spoonfuls of Crisco, right? It, it, you, it, it's not satisfying. It doesn't taste good. It's lumpy and <laughs> gross as it slides down your throat, right? There's so many things that make that experience unpleasant, right? But if we were relying only on our reptilian brain and the instinct to survive, we would gag down that Crisco. So, so if we used only our reptilian brain, we would eat anything that we could get our hands on in order to stay alive, regardless of the taste or the texture, etc. However, conversely, if we relied only on our limbic system or our emotions and our feelings, it would be a lot more like, I eat whatever I want, whenever I want, however much I want. And that is going to lead to some really uncomfortable experiences with food also, right? Because you may be eating food that tastes good, but doesn't, but does not provide the nutrient value that your body needs, the nutrient density that your body needs and the vitamins and the minerals and all of those things. Um, and, and everyone, I mean, we've all had those moments, right? Where we've eaten too much and it physically hurts. So part of intuitive eating is definitely learning how to ditch the diet rules and make peace with food. And it is giving yourself freedom to eat whenever you are hungry and as much as you need in order to satisfy your body. However, if you are ignoring your hunger and fullness cues, then you aren't using your whole brain. It's important when we're setting boundaries for ourselves and when we're learning to establish this relationship of trust that our body knows we will always be fed and that we can learn to count on our body to tell us when we've had enough of whatever it is that we're eating. It's important to remember that we use our whole brain, right? That we don't just use our feelings and our emotions to make the decisions for us. And we don't just use our instincts to survive, but we take into account all of those things and all of our eating experiences of the past, and then we make an informed decision. The second principle of our acronym is reliability. And reliability is one of the most important mutual feelings that is present in a trusting relationship, according to Brene Brown. It's you do what you will say you do, and you do it more than once. And training our brain to trust us is so important, right? The way that you're going to do that is through repeated eating experiences over time. So you're not going to become an intuitive eater after one or two days, right? It's these little moments of, of learning, right? Learning that, oh, that chicken salad tasted so good, but it wasn't enough to carry me as long as I needed it to. So next time I'm going to need to add some additional things to eat, with that chicken salad in order to be able to still feel good. 
right? And so as you learn from those experiences, as you start to apply those things that you're learning, you're going to start building better trust with food. Here's the good news. You cannot mess up intuitive eating. It's impossible. Unlike diets that have really rigid rules and expectations, intuitive eating is based on principles. And even when you quote unquote mess up, there is no such thing as messing up. But oftentimes we describe it as messing up. We have an opportunity to learn. So for example, um, even on a binge, right? If you don't eat enough and then you come home and you just eat everything in sight, you have the opportunity in that moment to sit down and say, what just happened? I didn't feed myself enough. I went too long without food. I made my body wait too long. And so she did exactly what she's supposed to do. And that is to stimulate my body to, to essentially to binge, right? And so you have an opportunity to learn from that and say, okay, next time I'm not going to go five hours. I'm going to do what I need to do to grab some trail mix or to grab an apple or a candy bar or anything to be able to um, raise my blood sugar a little bit to help me last that last little hour. But as you continually have these little relations, these little moments with food and these little learning experiences, um, and as you continue to do them, you'll build reliability and your body will come to know that it can trust you. It can trust you to give it food when it needs food. Remember that intuitive eating is the ultimate form of self-care. It is learning again, relearning how to be introceptive, to be aware of the sensations and feelings in your body, and then to respond to them with self-compassion and kindness and to meet those needs. Remember that your body has everything you need to be an intuitive eater. You cannot fail at intuitive eating. It might take some time to relearn how to intuitively eat, but you will get there. The reason why we need to relearn how to intuitive eat, so many of us need to relearn it, is because we are chronic disconnectors, right? We have, we have learned to disconnect from our bodies in so many ways. We rely on external measurements like the scale to tell us about our health instead of how we feel. We use macro counters and fitness apps, and mirrors, and measurements, and BMI, and all of these things, we've relied on them to tell us whether or not we were healthy, whether or not we were doing a good job. And we've forgotten how to connect with ourselves and to take that internal awareness of our health, right, and of how we're doing. We also do that with our emotions, right? We, we forget that learning how to feel and deal with emotions is a learned skill. It's not just natural. We're not just born with it, right? It's something we need to figure out. And so as you practice intuitive eating and as you practice having more respect for yourself, having better boundaries, um, providing reliable self-care, as you do those things, you will learn, your body will start sending you signals again. It will start telling you what it needs, whether that be rest or movement, or more food. And as you get better at responding to those, 
those cues and those needs, your body will get better at telling you what it needs. The last one we're going to talk about today for our acronym, the last principle is accountability. It is so important for us to take accountability. In the last couple of podcasts, we've talked a lot about diet culture and you know how I feel about diet culture, but I think it's important for us to realize that we are not true victims to diet culture. Yes, it has robbed way too many of us of our life, but let's acknowledge it for what it is, right? It's a smokescreen. It's fakeness. So let's acknowledge it. Let's learn to spot it and learn how to fight it, but let's not dwell in it. Okay. Don't give the diet industry and diet culture all of your power. I see sometimes that it's when we feel wronged, which we have been by the diet industry, right? They've been selling us lies for many, many years, selling us lies and taking our money. It's easy to feel slighted and to feel angry, but if we don't move past that anger and that and that sense of injustice, then we aren't living in the present. And it's only in the present where we can take control of ourselves. So take accountability. Recognize that you are the expert of you, right? And food, remember too, that food is a beautiful, beautiful thing, right? It is, but it is a tool, which means that you are the master of the tool, I think sometimes we feel victim to food and it's understandable why there are so many um, articles in women's magazines and in other sources, other places that talk about how food addiction is real. It's not just so you know, if so, we're all addicted to food because we need it every day in order to survive. So I guess if that's what they're referring to, then yes, we are addicted to food, but food addiction is not real. And we can talk a little bit more about the science of that at a later date. But food is a tool. A piece of cake or a sandwich or a bowl of soup cannot walk into your mouth by itself, right? You are the master of the tool. And food can be used to celebrate culture and family and holidays and traditions. Food is a beautiful source of bonding, right? But it can also be used to numb out of our lives and to escape feeling things that we don't want to feel. I want to say that if you do use food to numb out and to escape every once in a while, that is okay. There is no shame in that. But when it becomes a habit, and the longer that we use food to numb out emotions and sensations that we're feeling in our body, the longer it takes for us to deal and cope with those emotions and they don't go away. So it's important once again, to remember that food is a beautiful thing that should be celebrated, but it is a tool. Okay. And you are the master of that tool. So take accountability and recognize that you do have the power to move forward and to improve your relationship with food because you are the master of that tool. It does not control you. Thank you so much for sticking with me today. Today, we just covered three small things that you can do to help build trust with yourself regarding food and your body. 
I hope that as you start to establish better boundaries, to recognize that you are the master of you, and that as you start to be more reliable, to provide reliable food opportunities and food experiences, and to be conscious and aware of those experiences, and that as you take accountability, that as you recognize that you are the one that has the power to change this, if you want to have a better relationship with yourself and with food, It all comes down to you. I hope that as you apply some of these principles this week, that you'll be able to see and feel a change in how you feel about food and how you feel about your body. Next week, we're going to keep on going with part two of our podcast and dive into the four other aspects of trust that Brene Brown brings about in her Anatomy of Trust talk. But thank you for being with me here today. I hope you have a wonderful week and we will talk to you next week. All right. Bye.